Feliz sábado. I thought that since Cedric decided to use his English, I could use my Portuguese too. It's a blessing to be here, and I'm glad to have the opportunity of learning a little bit uh, of the Bible with you guys today. So let's bow down and talk to our Father. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for one more Sabbath, and thank you because we have the opportunity to spend this day not only with you, but together as a family. May you bless our hearts, and may the Holy Spirit work in our minds, that we're going to learn something new, and we're going to be able to learn something that we can apply in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me check with my clicker. Yes. Who do you think you are? That question has for sure crossed the mind of most people in this room. Maybe an angry parent or an authority that was questioned. Maybe a friend. But most assuredly, yourself. At some point, all of us questioned that. Who am I? Before coming to Arise, I was going through school and I stopped to come here. And I was doing psychology. And psychology has a lot of ways, a lot of theories to say how do we identify who we are. One interesting thing is that psychology says that anytime we try to answer the question, who am I? We always go first for groups. So we tend to, ident to identify ourselves first with groups. So someone will say, I'm an American. Or I am a Da Silva. I'm a part of my family group. Or I am a Christian. And as a Christian, every time that I try to think about this question, who am I? I would hear people saying, oh, our identity has to be in Jesus. And I never really understood what that means. What does it mean to have our identity in Christ? It is such an important question, and I think it's a crucial question, but I think the way we answer that is even more important. So I decided to go on Google, and just with some adjectives, and, and Jeremiah 31, 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. And the Bible also says that we are delighted in Take Lord your God is with you. Love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he rejoice over you with singing. And our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. It was corporate. I thought it was so beautiful. But I thought it was general. It was corporate. And I was thinking... Who am I different from others? Does God care about who am I different from others? Does God communicate with me in a personal way? Because I thought that all those things are amazing, they are true, but they are applicable to all of us. Are there things that God tells tell us personally? And for a long time I couldn't find a satisfiable answer. So I just took this question and I put the question on my shelf of, not satisfiable answer questions. And as you, guys, as you guys know from my past sermon, I was going through the book of Genesis. And then I crossed by the story of Abram. And it's a very common story. I grew up in the church, so I heard the story of Abram many times. But at this time, something different struck me. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Genesis 17.
Genesis 17, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you, and you multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants, after you in your generation, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in, you, in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and now you be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, and you and your descendants after you throughout their generation. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. When I finish the reading, I was feeling all these emotions that I didn't really know how to express. I was like, this verse is so beautiful. Because I realized that that passage was about identity. There is something very special about naming someone. I'm not a father, so I'm not sure if I really understand what does it mean to name someone. But I get the feeling that nowadays, when fathers, when, when parents decide to name kids, they use different reasons. Some people name their kids because the names sound beautiful. Some people name their kids because they want to honor one of their past relatives. Some people name their kids because they like someone famous who have that name. So I think we lost the weight of what names mean in the Bible. I think this was such a big deal because names in the biblical times had such an importance. Names in the biblical times generally were attached to people's character. It was a way of communicating something to people and to God. If you go with me to Genesis 29, and I believe it's on my slide right here. Genesis 29, verse 31 we have an example of that. One more. Yeah. Not really going. So I'm going to read it for you guys. Uh, no. Can you turn one back? Genesis 29, uh, verses, starting on verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was bearing. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. 
Before his, therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. We can see that names were super important for her. Names were the way that she had to communicate to people what God was giving her. In this context, I realized that with changing the name of Abraham, God was trying to change his entire identity. And it's so interesting in Genesis 17 how, how God does that. Because God's follow a sequence, a very interesting sequence. If you come with me back to Genesis 17, verse 1 says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. The first thing before understanding who we are is that we need to understand who God is. It was so interesting that before saying anything else, God say, I am Almighty God. Before knowing who we are, we need to know who God is and what does that mean to me. The Bible has a lot of ways of naming God, a lot of ways that people call God. And in the Bible, God has a lot of ways of naming Himself. And I was just wondering, why did God choose to say, I am Almighty God? What does Almighty mean? You English speakers, what does Almighty mean? Powerful? All powerful, right? God was first of all telling Abraham, I can do all things. In the process of figuring out who we are, we first have to understand that God can do all things. If you continue with me to verse 5, to me verse 5 is the climax of this passage. And God tell Abraham, No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. In the process of understanding who we are, we have to understand that we have an image of, of ourselves. God starts saying, No long shall your name be called Abram. I need to know who I think I am. I need to understand who I deeply believe I am. And that might be a hard process. Because it entails looking to things in my past that I've done to myself and to others that I might want to avoid. Believing who we are is a can be a hard process. But only when we really look into who we are, we give God the chance of changing the way we see who we are. I believe that when God said, you shall no longer be called Abram, Abram thought of who he was. One chapter before this, Abram was a man who doubted God's promise. And didn't believe that Sarai could bear a son. In the chapter before, Abram was the man who lay down with the maid. Because he didn't believe that God could, could give him a son. One chapter before, he was the man who sent his own son, Ishmael, to the wilderness. It's not an easy process to realize who we are. But seeing who believe we are is the first step to allowing God change who we are. 
And the verse doesn't stop here because God doesn't leave us in face of who we are. Jennifer Dews, a Christian counselor, she says that before becoming Christian, she went through some spiritualistic meditation. And in that process, she was able to access things in her mind that she never knew was there. She was able to see memories and to feel things that she, she didn't know how to process. And she said that spiritualistic meditation led her to depression. And she got into a deep depression. Because seeing who we are without seeing who God is leads us to desperation. And this is the beautiful thing about this story. God didn't stop by saying, you shall no longer be called Aaron. He goes on, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. God has personal things to tell us. He has more than we can see to ourselves. Psalm 139, verse 1 and 2 say, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. Many times people tell us, Oh, you are a child of God. You are loved. You are forgiven. And it seems like we didn't really register that. But can you imagine when God looked to you and say, You now is going to be called Abraham because I have made you a father of many nations? It is impossible to ignore that. And this is what I believe God is trying to do with us. God is trying to communicate to us personally who we are. And I cannot give you an answer of who you are. And I cannot help you to say, oh, you are this and that. This is a personal thing that in our personal relationship with God, He tells us who we are. And Abram was loved by God and he was a child of God. And he was forgiven. But the way that God found to tell all of that to him was by saying, You shall no longer be Abraham. You're going to be called Abraham because I have made you a father of many nations. I don't know what God is trying to tell you. And I don't know if you struggle with believing in that. Abraham couldn't believe that he was going to be a father of many nations. He didn't have the child of the promise. Maybe you don't believe that you can be loved by anyone. Maybe you don't believe that you can be a husband or a wife or a good one. I don't know what you struggle believing. Jacob, in the Bible, had a name that meant deceiver. Can you imagine bearing that? Deceiver? And Jacob thought that he was always going to be the deceiver. He thought that he had no way out. That was who he was. And God came and changed his name for Israel. The one who pleaded with God and found victory. Coming back to Genesis 17. The last part of verse 5 says something that is very powerful. And it says... For I have made you a father of many nations. God says, I have made you. Not I will make you. Not I am making you. 
What does this verb tense mean here? It's a past tense. I have made you. God is telling Abraham, you are already a father of many nations. That made no sense. He didn't have the child of the promise. How was he the father of many nations? That's why if you come with me to verse 17 and 18, Abraham says, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He thought that Ishmael would have to be the child of the promise. But God was doing something different to Abraham. God was speaking life into Abraham. God speaks life into us. And this is not a new concept in the Bible. This is actually the first concept in the Bible. If you come with me to Genesis 1, verse 1. You're going to help me there. Genesis 1 verse 1. It's on the screen. says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. How was the earth? It was empty, void, and in darkness. There was no life in the earth. And how did God change that reality? What he did? He spoke. He changed that with his word. Come with me to verse 3. And verse 3 says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God created light out of nothing. We cannot really picture that. Because all that we have is light. We don't know what does it mean to not have light. Light is just as far as one click to us. God created light out of nothing. He spoke life into existence. There is this guy named Antoine Laurent Lavoisier that you probably have heard about him maybe. He's a French chemist. He was a French chemist. And he co-authored the modern system of naming chemical substance. And he created the law of conservation of mass. I'm not giving a chemistry class, don't worry, I wouldn't be able to, but the law of conservation of mass helps us to understand what God did. In the next slide, we have the law of conservation of mass, and it says, in nature, nothing is created, nothing is lost, everything changes. As human beings, we do not create anything. That's basically what he's saying. All we do, we change the substance. We change material. We take something that is in one form and put in another one. We don't have capacity to actually create. We need a basis. We need some, something previous which we can work in. We don't create things out of nothing. So to us it's hard to understand that God can, can create things out of nothing. But God can. And He does. And how does He do it? How does God create things out of nothing? With His Word. He speaks life into existence. 
Did you ever feel like the earth? That's a weird question, isn't that? Did you ever feel like the earth? Did you ever feel void, empty, in darkness? Have you ever felt not only in darkness, but have you ever felt that you were darkness? I have felt crushed by my sin before. But as God brought light into the earth, He can speak life into us. That's exactly what Romans 4.17 talks about. And it says... Whoop, One more? Okay. Uh, right there. Romans 4.17. Can you come one more? Uh, Judy, thank you. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. That God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. God calls into existence things that were not. God called into existence Abraham, a father of many nations. God wants to call into existence things in ourselves that we don't see, things that we don't believe we can be. I want to share you. I want to share with you a little story. Uh, when I was in elementary school, I lived in a really small town, and the school was in my street. I was a rough kid. My parents got divorced when I was really young, and that was really hard on me. So I was a very angry kid. And I started going to school, and I would get into fights, and I would talk back to teachers. And very easily, that became who I was. Very easily, everybody only saw me through the lens of, this is a bad kid. This is an angry kid. This is not a good student. And even though I always had good grades, I could always learn this stuff and put on paper, I understood that I was not made to school. I was not a good student. I was not a good kid. I was not supposed to be in school. And as I was living with my grandma, every single day, I would get all ready to school. I would put my backpack and I would go running, running through my block. I would do everything possible to not go to school because I was not a good kid. Because I was not a good student. The teachers didn't like me. And my grandma says that she would get tired very easily. And what she would do, she would get the bigger kids and she would say, I'll give you one real, our money, if you get Gabriel and put him into school. And she said that it was the fun of the guys in my street. They would all come to her, so she would pay them to get me into school. And that was like that for a long time, until I was in grade five. I didn't really like school, because I thought that I was a bad kid, and bad kids are not good in school. And then for grade six, my parents said, now you're going to public school. And everybody would tell me, public school is awful. The kids are mean They're going to beat you up. The teachers don't care about you. I was like, wow, this is going to be rough. If there is something worse than this school, wow, I'm not ready for that. And then I went to public school. I didn't really know, I think, anyone in my first day of class. I was really shy and quiet. And one teacher, she was my Portuguese teacher. Tassiana was her name. 
It was such a big deal to teachers to choose who was the student who write in the board for the teacher. It was the special task. Who is going to write the things that the teacher wants in the board? And in the process of choosing someone, she looked at me and said, Gabriel, you are the one who's going to write on the board. I was like, what? I'm going to write in the board? I was so glad. I felt so special. After that, every week she would check everybody's notebook to see if everybody had done the homework. And when it was my turn, the kids would get angry because she would look at me and say, Gabriel, I don't need to see yours. I know that you've done that. I know that you did all your homework and everything's fine. Just go sit. And that would be like that week after week. That teacher changed my school life. That teacher spoke life into me. She believed in me. Now, I believe that I could be a good student, that I could be a good kid. Unfortunately, most of those kids in public school on grade uh, six didn't even finish high school, unfortunately. But that, that teacher, she changed my life. She believed in me, so I believed that I could do it. If a human being believing in our potential can change our lives like that, What if we believe that God believes in us? What if we believe that God believes in our potential? I believe that that was what God was trying to do with Abraham in Genesis 17. God was saying, I'm changing your name because I believe that you're going to be a new creature. Who is God telling you are? Who is God believing that you are, even if you don't believe you are? In Genesis, God continues speaking life into earth. And he creates the firmament. And he creates the plants and the animals. God speaks life into Abraham when he changed his name. And if you come with me to Genesis, to Romans 5.18, I mean... I believe that this verse synthesizes everything that God was with, with Abraham and what, we, what he did for us. It says, But God demonstrated his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the cross, Jesus spoke life into us. In the cross, Jesus was stating who you were, even before you were that. In the cross, Jesus was bringing to existence who we weren't. In the cross, Jesus was saying, I believe in you. I believe in the the potential of you. In the cross, Jesus was telling us, you can believe in who you are through me. The cross is the final statement of identity. Because in the cross, God brought into existence who we are. To finish this story, in verse 10 and 11 of Genesis 17, it says, This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you, and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your 
foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. I don't know who is Jesus telling you are. Only the Holy Spirit can tell you who Jesus is telling you are. But more important than what we think we are, more important than what people think we are, more important than what our sins say we are, is who Jesus say we are. And in this passage, he's saying that in him we are a new creature. Abraham, as a sign of belief in God, he had to go through circumcision. And I believe that all of us have to go through circumcision too. Not of our bodies, but of our minds. As a sign of belief in God, Abraham had to let a part of his flesh go. As a sign of belief in who we are in Jesus, we have to let thoughts go. We have to, ha we have to let parts of our minds go. In order to believe in who Jesus believes we are, we got to get rid of the thoughts that we have about ourselves many times. I want to finish this message with a passage in Revelation 2.17. And we're going to have that passage on the screen. You don't need to turn. One more. Revelation 2.17 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to it. And I will give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name written in which no one knows except him who receives it. Amen. God has a personal name for us. Because we have a personal story with God. God has personal things to tell you. And in heaven we're going to receive this new name. But I believe that we don't have to be in heaven to start living a life believing what Jesus tells us. We can start now believing what Jesus did at the cross for us. We can now, every time that we doubt and we question who we are, look at the cross and find there the answer. Because there, Jesus was speaking life into us. And in the cross, Jesus was bringing into existence who we were not. Please bow down your head as we talk to God. Heavenly Father, thank you because you believe in us. Thank you because many times we don't believe in us. And many times people don't believe in us. But you use those moments to reaffirm who you believe we are. Lord, may every time that we are questioned and every time that someone questions who we are, Every time that the enemy puts doubt in our mind of who we are, we remember, Lord, that in the cross, you believed in us. That in the cross, you were saying, you can be all things through me. Lord, let us also believe in people and let us also speak life into people. May we be used by you to not destroy anyone's identity, Lord, but to believe in them. And to speak life into them like that teacher spoke life into me. Give us a good Sabbath in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.